0: My name is Diana, and this is The Family Finance Show, the podcast to help you manage your family's finances better. Every week, we share an episode on topics relating to increasing your family's income and managing expenses, controlling your debt, and investing for the future. Today, my guest is Dr. Daniel Crosby, an author and the Chief Behavioral Officer at Brinker Capital in the USA. Daniel, I heard you speaking on a webinar about psychology and investing, and I found it fascinating. And later on, I learned that you are one of the most prominent voices on behavioral investing, and I'm reading your excellent book, The Laws of Wealth. Welcome to the show, and thanks so much for giving us your time today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: So maybe we can start off with why human psychology is so important when it comes to money and investing. What's the link?
1: Well, it turns out the link is enormous. It actually, turns out the link is the is the biggest link around. Okay. So when you look at sort of the the rules of investing, you know, my book, The Laws of Wealth that you're reading, has these ten or twelve rules for investing. Uh, the rules are relatively simple to learn, uh, but they're enormously difficult to adhere to. And I mean, it's the same thing with many meaningful pursuits in life. If you look at something like you know maintaining. Uh, an appropriate body weight, you know, it's, it's very easy. Like the formula is, you know, eat right and exercise. It's easy to know what to do, but it's enormously hard to, to stick to it. Mm-hmm. So, for a variety of reasons, I'm sure we'll talk about, um, it's very, very hard to stick with and adhere to a good financial plan, even though the fundaments, are, fundaments of it are quite easy to learn.
0: So do you find that your background in psychology has helped you a lot in your role as a financial advisor?
1: Yeah, uh, background in psychology, I think, is enormously useful to people working in finance and those just interested in understanding their, their money life. You know, it's it's interesting if you think about what human nature craves. Right? We crave certainty. Uh, we crave, you know, running with the herd, being part of the crowd. Uh, mm-hmm. We crave immediacy and you know, sort of present fulfillment. And you think about what it takes to be a good investor. It requires dealing with uncertainty. It takes. You know, taking a contrarian stance uh, with markets, it takes uncertainty, long periods of not knowing, it takes risk and, um, you know, setting aside that need for immediacy to, to look for a brighter tomorrow that's mm-hmm. perhaps decades from now. None of that comes easy to us. And so I think psychology uh, is sort of helps us to bridge that gap.
0: Indeed. Um, and as you mentioned in your in your book, the, the Laws of Wealth, you, you speak about the 10 rules of behavioral self-management. So it's talking about managing yourself, which I really like. Um, but we don't have time to go through them all on the podcast, but perhaps you can highlight two or three of these and specifically those that are important to families because here on the Family Finance Show, we're speaking to mainly, uh, our listeners are mainly families. So perhaps some of some of these rules that are more relevant to families?
1: Sure. Well, you know, I'm a family man myself. And and so I I think I was, I was intentional about the the order in which I presented these rules. So I'll begin with the first rule. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first rule is you control what matters most. So I think when most people who don't, um, who aren't expert in dealing with financial markets think about the world of high finance. They go, you know, Oh, it's so complicated. You know, I need to study, you know, interest rates and geopolitical moves. And well, you know, what are there wars and what's happening to commodities? And it's really not that complicated because the best predictor of whether or not you reach your financial goals is actually really, really simple stuff. Like, do you automate your, your process? You know, do you start early? Are you consistent? Do you work with a professional who keeps you out of your own way? So I want to help families kind of take the power back, sort of wrest the power back from, you know, Wall Street as it were, or, or even the professionals and say, you know, being a sound investor, being a good investor really is less about, knowing all of what's going on in the financial markets and is really more about consistency, having a plan, having a program and sticking to it. So uh, I think families and individuals have an enormous power that I want them to recognize uh, and take back. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second one that I would highlight because I think it's been um, on display here, I cannot speak to the, the ups and downs of the South African market as, as well as I might like, but I can speak to the American market and the rest of the world tends to, tends to follow suit somewhat. So if you look at, so the, the next rule I want to talk about is that excess is never permanent. Mm-hmm. So it is human nature to think that whatever is happening now will kind of continue to persist, right? Like whatever we're seeing now, we sort of project that into the future indefinitely. You know, if, if you meet me once and, and I'm uh, friendly and affable, you assume that the next time that we meet that I'll be friendly as well. You don't reinvent the wheel every time. And and we hold that to be true of markets. So if markets are are performing poorly right now, we tend to fear that they will always perform poorly. And if markets are, are rip-roaring uh, to all-time highs right now, we, we think uh, that they will continue to do that. But in fact, the opposite is true. You know, the truest words in investing are actually, this too shall pass. So this is a phrase that should give us pause in moments when we're maybe getting a little greedy and should maybe give us some, some hope and meeting uh, at times when we're a little fearful. So you know the the truth of human nature is we tend to think that whatever's going on right now is what will continue to go on. Uh, But the truth of markets is whatever is going on right now uh, is gonna tend to pass away and be replaced by its opposite, uh, which is a reality that's chastening in good times and and heartening in bad times, I think.
0: Yeah, when you were talking about that, um, I couldn't help but thinking about our time of lockdown. So South Africa went into lockdown, in March, April. And when we were in the period of lockdown, we just couldn't imagine life would go back to normal, that it would be different. And now that we're in level one, people are are behaving as if, uh, you know, COVID doesn't exist anymore. So it, it is interesting also how forgetful forgetful we are of the bad times. And we just go back to behaving as we we always did, actually.
1: Yeah, it's it's been incredible. I mean, COVID has given me a lot of uh, opportunities to look at human behavior for better and worse. And, you know, it's interesting uh, here in the U.S., You know, our seasons are, of course, sort of uh, reverse of of one another, of course, in the U.S. and South Africa. But, you know, here in the U.S., we locked down about mid-March as well. Mm -hmm. And everyone's really unified uh, for, you know, a period of maybe six or seven weeks. There was a lot of like, you know, we're all in this together. There was a lot of enthusiasm for this. And then summer started and the wheels just completely (laughs) came. right i mean it's just like uh, and it's just it shows how powerful emotion is in in how we analyze data you know one mm-hmm. of the things that i look at is how we filter uh data points through an emotional lens now when summer started there were no data to suggest that we should be you know uh, loosening our resolve or letting down mm-hmm. our guard with respect to covid but people just stopped caring, right? People just stopped caring and they just went back and sort of resumed their normal lives. Mm. You know, there's a conversation to be had about the best way to, to approach this, of course. Yes. But the fact is that it really tends to drive behavior much more strongly uh, than, than data do. Mm. And that's something that I think good investors everywhere need to understand is how can I have a plan or a program or an advisor that keeps the emotion of, of greed or fear from overwhelming me making data-driven uh, sort of rational decisions.
0: Yeah, indeed. And I also love the, really love that point that you make about doing less than you think you should do, that we have an action bias. So we always favor doing something over doing nothing. And in your book, you write about this Vanguard study, which showed that um, people who, who made changes to their portfolio did worse than those that did nothing. Um, and I suppose they have so much data available to them to, to look at all the investments and whether um, and to, to be able to see whether it is actually better to do nothing. So how do we stop our natural action bias and, and stick to a plan? I personally find it quite hard. What do you recommend people do in this case?
1: yeah so i'll just take a quick minute to talk more about that research so this was actually a, there are a couple of studies i cite in there one of them that that you haven't mentioned yet it was a study that showed that the best performing retail investors so this would be like mom and investors uh, the best performing retail investors the two hallmarks of their behavior uh, were that they had either died or that they had forgotten about their accounts entirely. Yes. So they, they, set out, you know, they set out to examine what makes people exceptional investors, and it turns out that it's effectively forgetfulness is what <laughs> makes people exceptional investors. So one of the things that we can do is, is if you want to encourage a behavior, uh, you want to make it uh, easy, and if you want to discourage a behavior, you want to make it hard. So one of the things that's difficult in our technologically driven society is it's very easy for us to mess with our finances now, right? Like all mm-hmm. of us can get on our smartphones and, in many cases, for for no charge, make a trade, make a transaction, move money around. And so, weirdly, the ease with which we can transact financial business is is greatly to our detriment. So mm-hmm. whether that's looking at the portfolio less taking the app off your phone, you know, hiding the password, whatever that is. Right. Uh, I mean, me, I, I physically, this is goofy, but I, I physically tear up my statements when they come in the mail. Like I make it a point, you know, I make it a point to not get them delivered to my email when they come to my uh, home, you know, when they come to my home in the physical mail, I tear them up and I don't look at them because I know that if I look at them and I see that I've, you know, see that my money has, you know, fluctuated, I'm, I'm likely to do something dumb. Mm. So one thing to do is to, to make it difficult. You know, another thing that I've kind of been around the edges of is, is just having a, a partner, a coach an advisor, who is that sort of next layer uh, between you and a bad decision. Mm. You know, Look at, at, the, at the drivers of behavior. There's there's really three things that you need to make a good financial decision. So it's three E's. The first E is education, right? You need to know what you're doing. Uh, you need to be able to make good decisions. The second thing you need is the good environment. So this is your holdings. This is your mix of assets in your portfolio. Uh, you need a mix of assets that's not going to be so volatile or, or so risky And it's going to cause you to make bad decisions and the third thing that you need is encouragement so this is in a moment where even though you know the right thing to do even though you have a sensible portfolio there will still be times when you when you panic right there will still be times when you panic and you need someone to kind of talk you off that ledge and help you make the good decision at the moment when you're not thinking very clearly So if you have the right know-how the right portfolio and you have someone in your corner, I think you're uh, almost certain to make better decisions.
0: I love all of those. And I also um, think from my experiences, once you've lived a, a a kind of a crisis before, it's easier when the second one comes around. So... In the 2008 uh, financial crisis, I had just started investing. I'd only been investing for about a year, so I didn't have a lot of money in my portfolio. And, and it really was a test of courage when, when back, almost all your money is wiped out you're like, oh, should I carry on or should I, should I stop? And at that point, it was really hard for me to carry on, and I think I stopped investing for a, for a few months. But when um, this COVID crisis came and the stock market lost a hell of a lot of value in a short space of time, I, um, I, I didn't react in the same way because I'd kind of seen it before. Um, and so it was, it was easier. It was also easier because um, the markets recovered so, so much quicker than in 2008. But that experience helped me a lot when, when dealing with subsequent um, changes in my the value of my portfolio.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting. Maybe maybe we're about the same age because I started investing at... Uh, I, I graduated with my PhD in 2007. And yeah. so I began investing really in the fall of 2007. And then, you know, nearly as soon as I had gotten my job and started investing, no sooner do I start this than the U.S. economy gets completely, yes. you know, completely destroyed. <laughs> but um, But what happens is if you can learn that lesson once, like you said, um, I guess I'm lucky to have lived through, you know, two of the three worst uh, financial crises in American history in my, in my short working life. And so what happens, though, is you, you do learn those lessons. And we, we really saw that with a lot of our clients who who learned in 08, 09, you know, that, that if they did the wrong thing, it, it cost them dearly because, you know, the market did come back and, and, and came back very strong. And so it's important Funny. to learn those lessons and there's really no substitute for experience.
0: Yeah, exactly. Once you've learned it once, um, it really makes a big impression on you. So, so yeah. And then Daniel, the last question is a question that I ask all my guests on the show. And that is, what is the one piece of financial advice that you would like to pass on to your children?
1: Uh, I think the, the piece of financial advice that I would pass on is that, uh, Money can sort of buy happiness. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. if, if if you look at the research around money, um, I'm going to have trouble translating it to Rand. But if you look at the research around money, it shows that it buys happiness up to about the average American salary. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you make an average sort of middle class salary every point along the way, money does buy you happiness because it buys you uh, a safe place to live. It, it buys you appropriate medical coverage and, you know, a good place for your kids to go to school. So uh, up to about a middle-class lifestyle, money does buy happiness and it, it is worth pursuing. Uh, after that point, though, It plateaus entirely so that someone who makes, you know, $75,000 a year and someone who makes $75 million a year Mm -hmm. don't have appreciably different happiness profiles, which is really not how we think about it. We think of money as almost liquid happiness and, you know, more money equals more happiness. But in my research and in my uh, observations, that's not been the case. So basically what money can be used to buy is the absence of sadness or, you know, the absence of want. But once those things are fulfilled, uh, it's up to bigger stuff like love and life and meaning. So I, I'll tell my kids to pursue money for what it's worth, but to, but to leave it alone after a certain point uh, because you end up trading a lot of life for it uh, that, that doesn't make you happy.
0: So interesting because I've just interviewed a, um, a philosopher for the um, for the podcast where we spoke about how um, money doesn't doesn't lead to happiness because you know unhappy billionaires exist and if money made you happy there would be no unhappy billionaires but um in south africa there's a huge income inequality and a lot of people are actually living in poverty so that as you very clearly and succinctly explained money you need money up until a certain level or lifestyle where you can afford health care and all those kinds of things that that sort of take you out of the misery of of poverty but thereafter you you don't you just don't want to obsess about money because it's definitely not a path to happiness so so yeah i really like that advice and on that note thank you so much for your time daniel really appreciate your time and sharing your insights with all our listeners in south africa and around the world
1: yeah my pleasure thank you for having me
0: thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to stay on the journey to improving your family's financial well-being.